Welcome to the Artistic Foodies, the show that explores life through the lens of art and food. I'm Abbas Muhammad. And I'm Irfan Raidan. And today we're talking about Khamsa the Project with lead artist Gulaid Muse. We explore the project itself, which is centered around healing through grief, as well as Gulaid's personal journey through hip-hop, Islam, and the arts. So make sure you listen all the way through. Gulaid Muse is a music producer and community organizer. He also found and directed Speak With Beats, a website and video series aimed at connecting the listeners and the creators of instrumental hip-hop. He has also created community-focused events, including Skate With Beats, Block Is Hot, and Not For Sale. Originally from Somalia, Goled moved to the U.S. at the age of 10 and has lived in the Bay Area for over 20 years. Yes, my name is Gulen Muse, Somali, a mystic, an organizer, a creative from the Bay Area. Grew up in Vallejo, half ties in Oakland, half ties in the city. Came to Mexico after 23 years, 24 years living in the Bay Area. And I'm, I'm on a path. I'm on a path to continuously express myself, be free, live authentic, just channel whatever Allah is providing me to, to give to the world. Yeah, I was born in Somalia and then uh, came to the Bay Area when I was nine, nine or 10 years old. You know, like when you come to a country, like you forget like how old you, it's like a new dawn. It's like your your hijra, you know. <laughs> um, so I came I came like around '98, and have a, I had an uncle who was living in the Bay Area at that time, and moved to Vallejo and then been in the Bay Area ever since. Nice, nice. So did you uh, did you meet E40 in Vallejo? <laughs> that's that's a, that's a part of my bucket list. He's one that's of the my, important <laughs> questions. Yeah, Ask him a heavy yeah. hitter question Thank right you. now. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really wish I had the opportunity to meet Mac Dre. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away. He was a cultural icon in Vallejo. He still is, especially in the North Cal region. But E forty, yeah, but <laughs> yeah, uh, but E forty. Definitely is somebody who I would love to just thank for for his his template on how to be an independent artist and stay true to yourself and stay true to where you where you come from and being the most innovative, most authentic person that you could possibly be. Like he he literally is like he 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 had the whole startup model before <laughs> before all the Silicon Valley BS started happening. Like his template was minimal viable product, having the tapes in the trunk of his car, selling them for maybe five ten dollars a piece. There was also legendary MCs like the likes of Too Short and, and many others in Richmond who were who were just doing the same thing to the point where the music industry didn't have no leverage on them. 
that were making more money than some of these artists who are multi-platinum uh, in, in, in huge platforms, heavy rotation on MTV when they were only showing music videos. Uh, and yeah, yeah. Nice. So for them, mm -hmm. I was just going to say, so you grew up in the nineties in the, in the, in the late nineties, right? late nineties, early two thousands. Okay. Okay. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Like around 98. And then been living there ever since. It seems like hip hop is definitely part of your roots. What influence has that had on you growing up in the Bay area? Oh uh, yeah. Uh, I would definitely say just being exposed to American hip hop music at that time. I remember watching Rap City on BET and, and just seeing just this range of regional hip hop music coming from the East Coast, whether it be like the likes of Dead Prez, Black Star, Nas, Jay Z, the Wu Tang, to Texas with the Ghetto Boys and and the screwed up click, UGK, you seeing what's going on in Florida with JT Money and the Poison Clan, Trick Daddy, the whole slip and slide, New Orleans, Atlanta, and then West Coast, most importantly, just also like the Bay Area. And just the Bay Area more specifically, you had a range of like hip hop sounds from mob music where it was not rappers trying to act like they are drug dealers or how they portray themselves as gangsters. It was gangsters that were literally trying to get out <laughs> and express themselves while rapping. So these were some real cats that I was listening to when I was young, but that I wasn't for the faint of heart. That wasn't my lifestyle, but like I grew up to the likes of like hieroglyphics, uh, raw underground hip hop, collective out of Oakland, California, and just listening to them, listening to Zion I, rest in peace, Zombie. Uh, those those brothers was was were so metaphysical and so spiritual with their music, but at the same time they were just raw with their lyricism. And that's what all of this kind of like oh okay. Yeah, so with all of that accumulated it made me want to participate in, in the hip hop culture. So growing up, I didn't have the fits. I didn't have the, the nice sneakers or, you know, the, the, the FUBU jerseys at that time. So the only way I could truly make friends was to start rapping. So I'll never forget an English class. I wrote a rap and I rapped it in front of my whole class. And then everybody wanted to play football with me. <laughs> but the funniest thing was is that the football that I imagined was soccer. And then lo and behold, my lo and behold, I was getting tackled. I didn't know how to catch the football. It was just no feet uh, were involved. Exactly. Exactly. You know how like you build up your reputation and then you lose it in a second? I almost lost it in the field. <laughs> and it, it was around it was it around the same time that you were also on the weekends, dressing up in your full-on thob, going door to door doing dawa. <laughs> oh, when I found when I found the masjid, uh, I'll never forget it. It was just, it was an oasis at that time because there was not too many kids I could relate to who came from the same background as me. So being around, being a young, being around young brothers, uh, in in madrasa, just. 
studying the Quran, studying the Hadith, also kind of debating with the imams at that time. <laughs> not in a not in a not in a fitna type of way, but more so like let's let's get to the let's get to the uh let's get to the to the source of the matter. I think you've interpreted this hadith wrong type of situation. I was really I was really into the deen uh when I was a youth. But at the same time it was it was like day and night. It's like this it's like living a duality where you have this identity of being a Somali Muslim, but then also you're trying to find your way and and, and through the school system, through your own social through your own social circles. So all of that just kind of accumulated to who I am today. Especially especially after nine eleven when all that was going down. It was uh it was quite interesting. <laughs> But regardless, regardless, I've I've always I've always tried to find myself through the noise because it's 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 about how people are always trying to tell you who you are without trying to figure that out yourself. So hip hop was one of those modalities for me to really explore my subconscious, really explore my mind. And also uh, just studying my history, especially learning about Sufism, learning about how that was ingrained in my in my culture. That that opened up a new world in the eso esoteric aspects of the deen. Mm. There's so many different threads that are following along in the story. So, ah, uh, yeah, I'm just a, I'm just like a. Chick- I'm a charcuterie board player. <laughs> <laughs> a colorful tapestry with all these different colored threads weaving through the fabric of your life. Um, so, so take us back to so when you were rapping in high school. Where did you Where did you take it from there? When did you start freestyling? I'll never forget my. It was my English teacher. It was my English teacher, Mr. Bishop. I have major love for him. I don't know where he's at. But shout out to Mr. Bishop. He's an example of like a teacher that can change your life. And he was always playing the dopest underground hip hop music inside the classroom when Cash Money, in the early 106 in Park days, when they were showing Bling Bling on television, he would like play Rock Ham in the classroom. He'll play instrumentals in the classroom. And that's how I even like increased my scope of vocabulary. What he would do is he would give us 25 vocabulary words for the week, put it in a sentence, write the definitions of the of the words, find the synonyms. Afterwards, he would tell us to either put it in a story but he just knew that my inclinations was towards rapping, it was towards hip hop. So he told me to put that in a rhyme. So I have 25 vocabulary words and I'll just write rhymes. And that damn almost made me want to tear up for real. Like, you know, he was, a, he was a good man. He was a good, good teacher, a real powerful mentor. He was the one who also taught me how to freestyle too. 
And, this, and you know, it's interesting you mentioned vocabulary because I saw, I've seen this chart. And if you look up hip hop uh, artist vocabulary on Google, you should be able to find this chart. It, like it ranks everyone based on the, their vocabulary. Some of the folks that you mentioned, uh, especially like Wu-Tang, for example, Wu-Tang Clan has 6,196 unique words used in their first 35,000 lyrics. Yeah, half so, of them belongs to the Jizza, the genius. And I know yeah, exactly. ASAP, exactly. I know, and then, like, I think ASAP Rock is the is the is the one with the most vocabulary. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. He's he's on another level. Yeah, shout out to Definitive Jux, that whole that whole underground movement at that time in the mid two thousands. It's just the thing about hip hop, man. It's it, it teaches you in a way that schools cannot teach you. Like, for example, there's this song called uh, Bible by Killer Priest from the Wu-Tang Clan. It was early 90s or mid-90s. And he was also, through that record, he was also, he was, he was questioning Christianity. He was questioning the, the, the image of Christ. The first time I even knew about who Cesare Borgia was, was in that record. He, like hip hop will make you want to do your research. So when I found out and I looked at his picture and then I look at the picture of crisis, like in every church in Latin America and Africa and places that have been colonized and you put two and two together, it just, it blew, it blew my mind. And you will never learn that in the classroom. So I'm just talking about whether it's, whether it's mental health, whether it's spirituality, whether it's organizing. It was a music that was direct. It was a music that touched the soul in a way that it it hasn't it, that no other genre has has ever hit me. And so therefore, like it's yeah, hip hop was definitely like my upbringing yeah, throughout my childhood and and who I and who I am today. It's, it's really interesting you mentioned sort of like the night and day between being like a Somali Muslim, like, you know, studying in the madrasa, reading the Quran, and then also with hip hop taking a almost similar, like really like studying it and like reading in between the lines and, and trying to get the true message of it. And you describe it as it night and day, but night and day really part of the same cycle. It was These are both part of like who you are. And I think about... Uh, for example, that song Hip Hop Saved My Life by Lupe Fiasco. Mm -hmm. Lupe is also Muslim. Mm -hmm. In fact, hip hop wouldn't be hip hop if it wasn't for the Muslims. So can you tell us a little bit about um, what you learned about Islam through hip hop and, and how hip hop has been part of your spiritual path and your spiritual journey? I'd, I'd love to. Unpack. Yeah. First and foremost, rest in peace to the Jacker. He's a he was an MC from Pittsburgh. California. He was part of the Mob Figures. He like his his music in high school had kids come up to me wanting to know about the Quran. They'll be like, "Hey, bro, like bring the Quran over to the class tomorrow, man. I want to read it." Because he was from the streets, like he was about that life. But then he have songs like Quran. He'll he will he will talk about Islam. He'll talk about he will even say some. He will even say some ayahs before he will like start a record and and spit something that 
was so knowledgeable and so spiritual. But then the rest of his music was about some real street stuff. And so, I mean, it, Islam, Islam is, the Quran is rhythmic. When you think about the poets of their time, they were spitting rhymes. You know, the, the Malakat, like the, they had, they had a whole, they had uh, banners all, you know, in, in pre-Islamic times. They would have like banners on the Kaaba that would have like poems that were immortalized for centuries. And if, and going back to like Somali people, Somalis, or at least the country itself is deemed as the nation of poets. So many poets, so many poets came out of Somalia. My great grandfather, Awoa Ayun, he was a poet himself. And, uh, it's, it's ingrained in us. It's, it's, it's it has, has deep roots in Africa. So there's a universal aspect to it. And that's why it's so infectious. That's why it's the biggest genre in the world. Because the way black people expresses themselves is, is so universal, just like Islam. So when you think about like the likes of Rakim and just how he's spitting about 5% of knowledge, even though it's, it's not falling in the main tenets or the main aspects of what mainstream Islam is. But when you think about how he was proclaiming, like using the terms Rakim Allah, like how he embodies God as a black man in America, where you're subjugated to, to dehumanization for your music to come out and to call yourself a, a you know, I'm, 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 I'm one with, I'm one with the deity. I'm one with, I'm one with the most art. It, it, it blew people's minds. And they're like growing up listening to most deaf, of course, Buster Rhymes, who's also a Muslim. There's so many Muslims. There's so many Muslims in, in, in hip hop. And, and they are the, some of the most influential people, especially like Nas, like Nasir. Like just, just even knowing that, like it's just, it, it's, it made me appreciate the culture even more in, in finding my place here in America. So, so you're through your writing, you're you're picking up whether you knew it at the time or not. You were picking up the legacy of not only your Somali ancestors, where poetry was baked into the culture, mm -hmm. but also now tapping into the to the lineage that you find yourself in, and now living in the Bay Area of the hip hop lineage of the people around you, and you sort of took all that in and, and, and came out with that. So tell us a little bit about your, your music career, you know, were you writing for a while? Like, you know, what got you into beats and what are you doing now? Well, I don't consider it being a career cause I didn't make Jack nothing <laughs> out of, out of, out of being an MC. But I will say that just participating in the culture cause I loved it so much was the reason why like I, I chose rapping. I didn't have turntables. I was not as art I was not artistic to to do graffiti. I I didn't have the chops of breakdancing. <laughs> I don't think folks was breakdancing in Vallejo. <laughs> 
uh, probably more so pop locking, or they were just too player. They were too too much of too too Mackish to <laughs> to do any of that. But yeah, I think r- rhyming just helped me just explore music in, in many ways, and you know, shout shout out to just many of the producers who I was working with at that time was giving me beats. I remember in college, I would just sit down and just observe them, just sample music. And from there, just make a beat. So seeing that whole process gave me enough vigor to just write, mm-hmm. to write, to write a lot of music. And from there, you know, college most, most importantly was what really was was hmm. let me backtrack here yeah college made me engage with hip-hop in a, in a way i couldn't imagine where i was like organizing events where i would really learn how to freestyle i remember my, my, my brother gavin who's also a part of the humso project just seeing him just seeing him freestyle humbled me as an mm-hmm. mc just seeing that art form, just the way that I, I wanted to learn it so bad because of how my OGs was 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 freestyling in the circle to the point where when I started obtaining that skill, like that was also a form of therapy for me because when you're freestyling, like it's it's whatever is coming out of your head. So you will say some stuff from your subconscious that you're going through during that day. And it was a form of therapy. It was a form of release. So it was a healing modality. Yeah, it, uh, like I don't, yeah, hip hop, hip hop at that time during college just made me, just made me explore, but also I was recognizing talent and I wanted to ensure that our people had platforms to to hone in because I was also performing at that time in different clubs. <laughs> yeah, just didn't make anything, but rocking the crowd was was priceless. But I just saw I just saw uh, a different side of the culture where there was a lot of where there was a few gatekeepers who were extremely lame, really lame. Now they're irrelevant, you know. But like. They were extremely lame for for to to gatekeep something that was so little, and uh, seeing how people really wanted to make this a livelihood to the point where they weren't communal, they weren't they weren't equitable. So seeing that kind of changed my perspective of what I wanted to do with the culture, because it wasn't about me. It was about many others who who were extremely talented and also was their it was like their pathway, like their only way out. And they had to go through those channels. So seeing that was just what sparked me to just create create a different tunnel for for these artists. And so that's when you transitioned then from yeah. being an artist to an organizer. Yeah, but uh, it's just somehow like I, I just I don't think I've lost it. I don't think I don't think you can lose art. 
it's just like riding a bicycle. Like once you get the hang of it again, it's you're back up and running. But I feel like I've transcended that into something that was beyond, that was beyond me. That was beyond me. In hip hop, like you have to, you have to be bravado. You have to have bravado. You have to, it's all about self. You have to show that you're the illest MC in the game. Show that you make the best music. But there's not an infrastructure, especially in the Bay Area. It's more like city states in Italy back in the day. It's just like these different regions and few people hold power, but they don't have an infrastructure like what you see in Los Angeles or in Atlanta or in New York. And even those places are different monsters. But what I wanted to do is I wanted to create avenues for artists where they won't compromise their their genuine authenticity. So it just, I felt like my mission once again transcended into something bigger. Very cool, very cool. So let's let's fast forward a little bit. So you you were you know starting out as an artist yourself, and then you uh, became a producer and community organizer. But uh, you're continuing your um, artistic work in different avenues, right? Uh, I kind of um, have that kind of same uh, feeling. Is um, uh, I have some artistic abilities, but you know, I don't do traditional, um, what you call, what you would call art anymore, but I do, I kind of use my artistic skills in, in different ways now in doing events and, and programs and, um, things like that. So, um, tell us a little bit about the, uh, Kamsa project. How did you come up with this, with the concept and idea and, and where did this, uh, all Oh, come yeah, I, I think around like 2015, 2016, that was that was the moment when I thought about that project because I was because I was I was immersed in the in the beat scene and, and what that is, they're fine and our best producers were more so in the forefront. You had like the likes of let's say DiBiase, Flying Lotus. Sam I Am, so many others that made themselves artists, but they didn't need an MC to rhyme over their beats anymore. And that was fascinating to me because it was the beats that enabled me to rhyme. It was that music that didn't have no words that made me explore regions of my mind to, to come up with something. And I was just seeing these people just behind the scenes. They didn't care about the fame or whatnot. But however, in order to make a meal or, or, or break through, you had to make beats that catered to radio, that catered to the hype. So it inspired me and my colleague, Caesar, good brother, uh, to come up with Speak With Beats, a website dedicated to instrumental hip hop music. And it was a blog site where 
we would post all these B tapes from across the globe, whether they whether it's from the Czech Republic, whether it was from South Africa, Sudan, all across the United States, Japan. They were just not only were we finding them, they were sending them to us, telling them to post. And it was just this, it was this, it, it just clicked on me, right? It just clicked because when I was able to form that avenue, those very same gatekeepers I was mentioning to you about earlier were asking me how they could put their artists on. They were asking me how they want to collaborate. It was just, it's so foul. It was just so, foul. but anyway, <laughs> uh, but to see that it was a spark and it was a hope for my, it was a hope for my people. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to just like even take it a step further because a lot of the beat tapes really didn't have a, have a theme to them. I mean, there was some, of course you had, you know, you had like the likes of like donuts by Jay Dilla. I think it's a quintessential album of, of, uh, of the of the 21st century right he's so he's so important to he's so important to hip-hop music and that album donuts was his last album that he ever produced he was in his deathbed making that beat set all he had were vinyls right next to his uh hospital bed and uh, SB, I believe in SB 303, and he will sample these records. And it was a transitional record from, from life to death. Something that important. It was like Pink Floyd's Dark Side of the Moon. Like it's, it's so beyond, uh, it's so beyond what words can convey to say goodbye to someone. So listening to those types of records, I was thinking to myself, like, what can we do to make hip hop, instrumental hip hop music touch a chord in people's emotions and people's psyche? So I was thinking to myself, creating an instrumental hip hop project on the five stages of grief where producers could emulate that, that feeling of one of those stages and, and create like a whole EP off of it. Whether it be anger, whether it be whether it be denial, sadness, depression, acceptance, all that. But as time went on and it kind of fell by the wayside, I was also going through my own grief because I just decided to dead my dead my website. I didn't really have a real reason to, but there was just like so much going on in my life, and just losing losing something that you created. It really felt like you lost, lost a child, lost, lost someone. And I was in disarray. I would try to, I'll try to create these new sparks because I was also in my denial. I didn't have that process of, of, of knowing the fact that I, that I quit it. It's really hard to accept that. It's really hard to accept that. Mm. Why, why grief though? I mean, at that time, there must've been a lot of things, a lot of different themes that were going on in your life. Why grief? And why, why have you held on to that theme for 
for all these years and, and, and wanted to explore that specifically? It was just so much of those. There's a macrocosm and a microcosm of so many things that have occurred during that period of time, whether it was, whether it was, uh, you know, going through my own personal battles, whether it was the state of the world at that time, also just losing yourself, losing yourself. It, it just, it was something that really just stuck with me. So it took me a while and I haven't even really thought about it like really until now, like, like how, how this, this, this project stuck with me longer than anything that I've done. And now, and now that the project, the, the, the exhibit is up in aggregate space, the gallery in Oakland and, you know, you have the whole musical component. So like, just break down like what the Khamsa project is, uh, how people can access it, how people can um, uh, benefit from the potential healing of the project. Yeah, Khamsa means a lot to me. And, <laughs> and just the way that it evolved. And even then, like, what was it, <laughs> 2020? I, I almost gave up on that project. But it was art together that just kept insisting. And, and they believed in it so much. And Art Together is a, is a nonprofit that, that helps immigrant artists express themselves and, and have a platform. And shout out to our boss for, for setting me up with them. They're a really great group of people. I have I have such a deep love for 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 everyone in that in that in that organization because they believed in it more than I did. I really was just like, you know what, it is what it is. But it was just like they were like, hey, listen, everything, all roads leads to this. Let's make this happen. I know for our um, other projects that I've worked on too. Sometimes you know you get stuck in a particular detail and you're not looking at the whole picture then someone from the outside they could see what you're what you're trying to do so they kind of uh, motivate you to keep going even though you're gonna get you gotta get stuck in this one particular thing which you want to just say mm-hmm. oh this is not gonna work now i'm gonna just forget about it too much too much hassle right. too much problems to deal with this but some somebody else from the outside is is seeing what your whole vision, and they're saying, "Oh no, this is what you have to do. You got to keep. You have to. You have to make this happen." So some sometimes you need yeah, to push it, from the outside. It helped. It really motivated me. I was like, "Okay, I mean, if they believe in it that much, why not give it a shot? Why not give it a try?" And it was from there where I realized where my skill lied in, and that was. If I had to pick what my art form is, is is seeing the best in the artist, is seeing the best in people, and harnessing that, because I believe that they're able, that they're capable of of manifesting whatever they want to do, or executing the vision that I have. So it just went beyond from 
from not having words to articulate grief where I felt it was necessary and how everything came back in full circle where hip hop is, is that medium that I feel can like bridge people together, especially in music. But then just also having that visual component where people can go to the, the, the mind of the music project where it, it takes it a step further from, from the album. So it's, it's the, the project has two parts. One is an album that has, I believe like 10 artists where each, each one of them are, are assigned a different stage and they, and they speak on that, they emulate that they, they've immersed in themselves in it. Some of those artists, felt it was an extreme challenge because that was a place that did not that they did not want to explore, but they took it upon themselves to do it. And from there, like I wholeheartedly believe like like these tracks are are like the are the best like that, that came out of these people just based off of the simple fact that they really challenged themselves to take themselves to, to put their minds in the in the space that they don't want to explore. Arms wide, embrace, let's make some steps, move on, realize your worth, new goals, let go, let God It's all coming in like waves, like waves, subtle and creeps in, looking for room to make space and all on you when you ain't ready for it. I know it's hard to move forward. With the sister, like Sakina Noor. Shout outs to her. There's too many shout outs, man. I, I, I have major love for everyone. I have major love for everyone because I'm just letting you know, like, this is not me. I don't speak. I don't speak on these projects like it's all me. It's, 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 it's everyone. It's everyone. I feel like a lot. I feel like a lot has blessed everybody in this dunya with gifts. So it's, it's so it's Allah, it's, it's God. So I, I give I give credit to where credit is due. So it's just major shout outs to, to to everybody who's included in that project. But going back to Sakina Noor, she's she's weaving in all these records from these from these MCs, these these young black men uh, exploring these exploring these stages and, and acknowledging their pain or acknowledging their emotion to having visual artists who are not from who, who are not from my sphere of of artistry but for them to also find it deep within themselves to to come up with the art for the for the exhibit so uh, it's just it's such a blessing. It's, it's, it's such a blessing, alhamdulillah, that this is actually happening. And I really want to give back to the Bay Area. I feel like this is like, like my magnum opus at the moment for, for giving back to a community, giving back to hip hop, giving back to, giving back to my experiences just coming to the Bay Area. Because now I live in a different country. I live, I'm out here in Mexico with my family, but, but the Bay Area is always in my mind, Bay Area is always in my heart, and I wanted to get back to, to the town, back to Oakland, back to Vallejo, back to the city, back to Richmond, 
all the places that have have touched my life. And it's is really like it speaks to your vision as well. You've got you've got two nonprofits. You've got a, a West Oakland Art Gallery. You have twenty artists all believing and seeing in the potential of the vision of of wanting to really dig deep into sometimes the dark and shadowy parts of self to explore grief and explore the potential of healing there. I think that really it speaks to your vision. And I, I, I think one thing that really strikes me is that earlier on in, in your career, you were talking about how hip hop was a way of having that breathing space to just express without an agenda, to just share, to connect hearts. And now all these years later, that's kind of what you're giving back to the world. It's like, this is what hip hop did for me. Here's something I hope that this could do for you. And essentially con contributed. We talked about lineage earlier. We talked about legacy, that you get to make your mark. Even though you've left the Bay now, like you get to, you get to be like, this is my way of saying thank you. This is my way of saying, you know, that the Bay Area is a part of me, and now I get to be a part of the Bay Area culture forever. Right. And all of those artists are going to remember you, and everyone who goes to that exhibit is going to remember you. And everyone's going to there's that that quote that people don't always remember the things that you say, but they will remember the way you make them feel. I mean, I mean, and most important too, I really wanted to, I really wanted to create this project because. I'm in, I'm here in the artistic foodies podcast, and when you think about food being a a bridge to commonality among people, I wanted to create this project to create a bridge that's outside of outside of that's beyond art. I wanted to show that people grieve all over the world. You know, we, we, we lose people just like you. When you think about like the media and how they have dehumanized us for, 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 for decades, you know, the, the, the news cycles, the footnotes where you see 800 Afghani people getting bombed or, or what's been happening in Palestine or what happened in Iraq. Millions of people perished. Many families suffered. Like they 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 took the humanity away from us, and they and they dehumanized us. They made us subhuman. So I wanted to bridge this gap where we all deal with the same eternal human tragedy. We're all human beings, and I wanted to take Islamic art, uh, take it a bit further than things that we don't normally speak about. Because I've been hearing in, in different parts and different circles, yeah, it's definite. It's definite of of how we of of how we view the afterlife, how we how we see death, how it's written in the Quran. But even the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he had a whole year of sorrow. The Prophet, he lost his uncle, he lost his he lost his wife. The Prophet of God, who spoke directly to Allah, who seen Hadras Jibreel like from the ethereal realms 
as eternal, like if, if something like that came to my life, <laughs> I won't even know what, what this reality is anymore. I'll go crazy. But for him to hone that in, but yet at the same time, still have to go through that level of grief. I feel that's sunna. I feel that's universal. The prophet of God, you know, his, his whole ummah, the way that they suffered. That's, that is, that is just as Islamic as the five daily prayers, man. So, I really wanted to just take Islamic art and just bridge these gaps just to prove that it, that we're beyond calligraphy, that we're beyond geometry, we're beyond political political art. Above all else, we are souls living this human experience and we will return back to the Mosai. It was a challenge for a lot of people doing this project, including myself. But only Allah can tell. Only only Allah can tell uh, how how this is going to impact the the people. That's very uh, very powerful stuff. Um, I don't want to say anything after that because that that was a very very powerful ending there. I think. But um, tell us a little bit about um, the exhibit. You know, um, I know there's um, about twenty artists. You said or Abbas mentioned, and. Um, and how can people go and see it? And what's what's the how's it set up? And how can people go check it out? Once again, it's at the Aggregate Space Gallery in West Oakland. The exhibit is going to officially open September second. So if you're in the vicinity, or if you're hearing this podcast in London, and you're so excited because this episode is is it blew your expectations, and you want to go cop a ticket to the Bay Area. Yeah, come through September 2nd. And we have many other programs in the month of October, uh, whether it be the Lyrical Breakdown, where the MCs of the project deciphers the meaning behind their lyrics and what they were going through making the, the songs for the project, to a First Friday event, where even though we grieve, like, above all else, this project is a like, healing. It's a healing journey for everyone. So, we, so we're still going to celebrate. We're still going to enjoy life. Yeah, there's just like so many, so many programs. So feel free to check us out at, at the Art Together's website. Follow me on Sage Mode 1988 on Instagram. Check out the Gamma Collective because they're just as integral to the project and all of their social media platforms before you go you're gonna have to do a little freestyle here oh, uh, man. <laughs> this is the this is the most important part of the podcast here this is the most important part of the podcast because uh, i heard some episodes i didn't hear anybody freestyling in the end <laughs> yeah leave us with a couple of bars man oh man couple of bars all right story of my life Nothing short but survival. Entitled to the struggle, but last disciple. Waiting to meet a lie, looking at time arrivals. With him on my side, I don't see no rivals. Thinking of 40 ways to cement my legacy. While y'all reminiscing about your glory days back in high school. Tired of ways of BS, hit me on the daily. I'm running circumstances to the people trying to play me. 
God save me. This is not what I envision to be locked in the darkness like Mandela in prison. This ain't living. When you have to wear a mask when you step outside like Gene Simmons because you can pray and meditate, become a vegan, and at the end of the day, you can still be a messy human being. Trust me, I know that feeling when you're trying to break the glass ceiling for something appealing for what the mass is dealing. What's freedom when equality is not given the senses that we need? Feeding ourselves delusions of grandeur, waiting on the disease that we can't cure, and that's for damn sure. Help us asking for lifesavers just to only crucify ourselves like Tory Amos. In this realm of pain, I'm famous, but that doesn't define me to find peace like a saint. My state is, babe is, from here on out till infinity. Don't let the status quo doubt your divinity. When in doubt, hit his verse one more time like that house record so our minds stay connected so you never feel neglected. And that's mm, word. Cool, cool. Thank you very much. Exactly. Yes, And and then also just just so we can say we talked about food on this podcast today. What is your favorite halal restaurant, and why is it my halal takri? And I'm just kidding. <laughs> what is your? Yeah, I swear you, you read my you read my, <laughs> mind. You read my mind. That was the first thing that popped up. <laughs> Those birria tacos are. Or wants to die for. Yo, yeah. Fridays only, man, with the crispy yeah. cheese on the outside. Ooh. Man, oh man. Makes me want to just go back to Oakland there. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because Yucatan ain't even really got a taco culture like that. That's hilarious. You you moved all the yeah. way to Mexico and you're missing the Oakland tacos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Facts. Oh Facts. man, that's hilarious. Khamsa, the Arabic word for five is a multimedia art exhibition showcasing 20 black, Muslim, immigrant, and refugee visual artists and musicians traversing the five stages of grief. The exhibition, which runs from September 2nd to October 15, 2022, at Aggregate Space Gallery in Oakland, will be paired with the album release on October 23rd, 2022. Supplementing the project is a series of conversations with the artists around art and healing, which can be found on Spotify simply by searching for Khamsa, the podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Artistic Foodies. Before we go, show some love for your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Be sure to find us on Facebook and Instagram to stay tuned for more episodes as well as bonus content. You can have access to all of our episodes at theartisticfoodies.com. This podcast has been brought to you by Halal Fest Incorporated and Gamma, gathering all Muslim artists.